0: Welcome to Happy Path Programming. I'm Bruce Eckel. I'm James Ward. All right. Well, welcome everyone. Today we have with us Weem. And so I um, first met Weem, I think probably virtually, as I started looking into Scala stuff, and then met you in person for the first time at Scala Days 2018, 20 somewhere around there. Um, 19, I, re- I think. Yeah, 20, was it 2019? And you were giving a Zio talk out in the lobby at Scala Days in uh, what city were we in? Uh, oh, the one in um, Lausanne. Lausanne? Yeah. Yeah. And it was so fun because I was just beginning to get interested and excited by Zio. And you were there talking about how amazing it was. And so I got to learn a lot from you and your blog posts and and all that kind of stuff. So, and now, like, Bruce and I are, like, we love, are loving Zio. We're writing a book about Zio and, and, uh, really enjoying, the that whole experience i'm so. getting there you and bill
1: are like fully in love That's with right, it i'm yeah. still i still have to like get the picture before I, I go but i'm getting there yeah um so and we should also explain to our listeners that you're doing so english is not your native language what is your native language
2: uh it is arabic
1: arabic but then you also know french and german and then you're doing yeah. this interview in english which is like a kind of a mind-boggling achievement yeah so um yeah and and did you say you were born in tunisia yeah oh okay and so that's why you were saying that uh it's so warm and sunny there and in germany it's raining all the time
2: <laughs> yeah
1: well but you probably yeah, have was... family there that you can like zip back to and uh get a little bit of, uh, summer when, when it's too wintry in Germany.
2: Yeah. And, uh, I, uh, uh, go for vacations there. So. Right.
0: That's right. 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 So, um, so, uh, Tell us about your journey with Zio, because you you started really early on and and have contributed to Zio and and um, obviously written a lot of helpful things around Zio and presentations and all that. But yeah, tell us, give us a little history of how you got into Zio and and what all that's been like.
2: Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I was um, like, since I was born until. Uh, twenty uh, seventeen. I was in Tunisia. I worked in Tunisia, and I started learning Scala there. And then one, uh, uh, the very first time I joined the conference was uh, at twenty seventeen. Uh, and uh, 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 at that time, I I still uh, discovered in Scala. I I still didn't. Like whenever I hear about functional programming, I just get scared and I cannot <laughs> listen anymore. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think that's most people who are not mathematicians.
2: <laughs> yeah, and uh, then um, in uh, 2018, it was uh, like I, I, uh, uh, I kept going to conferences to learn more. And I saw John uh, Dugos uh, speaking about Scala Z8 effects Uh It sounded uh, interesting, but like I even don't know a lot about Scala Z. I just know the left and right operators in the magical, like this one. But I don't know a lot about Scala Z. Um, And Scala Z 8 effect sounded interesting and sounded different. Uh, uh, And then... Uh, when I met him, I told him that I'm interested to learn, but I really am scared and I I don't know how to start. Then he suggested to me to um, uh, implement tests uh, for uh, the data uh, uh, types in uh, Scala Z8 effect. And I told him, I, I just told you that I... I really i'm scared how you tell me <laughs> like it was it sounded very hard to to start. He told me i I can ask him any questions and uh and then uh, at that time i moved it. Uh, i just moved it to paris and uh and uh, start working there so when I went back from the conference, I directly didn't like i didn't sleep i directly started the implemented test yeah. it was for uh, ref and promise data types okay. yeah and i didn't i didn't know anything about the io and this is ref just... and
0: promise in scala z eight effects or whatever
2: yeah, yeah at that time yeah. and then when uh I implemented them. I discovered it along the way because I had no idea about them, but uh I learned it when i like I need to know what to expect, so I needed to um go through them and the uh, the implementation detail and uh, and try to understand them afterwards um after I opened the p r john uh, uh saw that I am very enthusiastic and i di- directly started um asking questions etc so um i he offered me to uh, um attend his workshop nice. and uh, like at that time it's still challenging for me uh, to to pay for a workshop <laughs> and uh, he offered that for free and i was very excited it was five days workshops i learned about uh semi group and monoid monad uh like it was interesting
0: his old like functional programming course where he was teaching functional programming and uh scala z and, and stuff were were um the the technology that he used to to do that but then i think like maybe this is jumping ahead a little bit but part of the motivation for zio was that in teaching these workshops he realized the level of kind of complexity or challenges that people had with learning some of these concepts is that is that correct in terms of history
2: yeah yeah he um he tried to teach functional programming in a way that helps people the beginners to not be afraid and to to uh uh, learn it. Uh, even sometimes, he tried to avoid using some very mathematical functional terms, yeah. math- mathematical terms. Yeah, and um, like this is also um, helped me with my fear <laughs> because uh, really uh, sometimes uh, when uh, I see the symbols, etc. Even like I studied mathematics, but I didn't. Like, I it's it wasn't my specialty, I didn't, I didn't like it, so um, it's it it looks scary for me. And usually, the functional programmers people, when I talk to them, I feel somehow I feel like um, maybe embarrassed if I ask about a monad or something, because if I ask. Their reaction, oh, you don't know, and uh, like that <laughs> <Yeah>. it's just, <laughs>
0: yeah, the functional programming, not um, just functional arrogance. programming, that's true, no, yeah, it's it just not, everywhere it's yeah. shot through. Yeah. oh there you, are no dumb questions unless you don't understand monads then you then don't understand
1: really you yeah. don't understand oh, oh my gosh yeah oh god
0: well let's
1: talk about that that's for a while the fact that you don't yeah
2: and they don't explain it just no.
1: <laughs> they yeah. just yeah we spend all the time just being amazed that you don't understand it. <laughs> that's right yeah i i know let's, it's uh, let's uh, really just focus
0: on the shame of that instead of helping you understand it's so it. counterproductive <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, it's like.
0: Yeah. uh but your experience with John was was positive, and he helped. Yeah. Uh, helped bring you along and and teach you without, hopefully, making you feel ashamed of not understanding yeah. these deeply mathematical concepts and. Yeah, he, he and all was that.
2: always, a patient. I asked a lot of questions, and at that time I wasn't really good in English, and whenever I struck, try to. St- Tractor, my phrase, it is very long and he was very patient and uh, I'm grateful to his time and effort that uh, he gave to teach me and to mentor me.
0: Yeah, that's cool. So you you went to this functional programming course by John and that was, it seems like a big milestone in terms of your, your functional programming growth and all that. Um how did you get how did it go from there to Zio? Uh
2: it started with Zoq. Uh John uh made a um mant- uh, mentorship program and uh he um suggested some topics so two features to add to Zio, and um I chose to uh lead the project uh ZioQ and it was challenging because I didn't uh, experience this, uh, like it, it will be the first time I would do that. And it was an opportunity to meet uh, people and to work together. And uh, it, I really, this is like from the very, uh, from the amazing experiences that I had. And s- since that time, uh, I, uh, uh, I started giving talks. Because uh, I learned a lot, and uh, I got the courage to start giving yeah. talks.
1: Well, I mean, I got to say that's pretty impressive. Somebody comes along and says, hey, do you want to do this? And you go, I don't know anything about it,
0: but sure. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. that's well, jumping in with in. both feet. <laughs> and to dive into such a complex huh. Uh, thing like yeah. the, the, the topic is definitely in the very deep end of the deep end <laughs> right yeah and you just decided yeah okay let's tackle this because sure yeah yeah and and you know i've been doing scala for probably almost 10 years at this point and and i would not i would not at all like be able to go tackle like ZOQs, like like that is way out of my realm of capability and so pretty impressive that for you a few years with Scala and and uh, functional programming to, to be able to go dive into that. I'm impressed.
1: What do you think? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess to put it delicately, w- uh, women are not treated that well in our profession. And so for you to have the guts to just say, Sure, I'll do that. I mean, what do you think allowed you to have mm-hmm. that kind of gumption?
2: Um, it's uh, I had um, a tough experience uh, before I got that courage. Um, I like I by default thought that this is uh, like in my uni in the university. Uh, in our class, there are more uh, women than uh, men. In wow. Tunisia, really, they uh, follow um, they follow uh, uh, informatic and uh, uh, yeah uh, computer science field. And then when uh, my first job was also with many women, but I had an experience with a colleague. He was a man, and he he um, helped me uh, to understand, to learn Scala in the beginning. And later when he saw me that I made progress and made things in um, production, he uh, he said hurtful things to me and he told me, uh, you... Um, you should look for uh, women's job. Even our job at that time, it's uh, like we have more women, but wow. he was, um, he was, uh, he wasn't uh, kind and he, he said many hurtful things. And at that time, because he was a friend, I w- I felt to stop. And like, because he saw that I was working hard, even in the weekend. And, uh, uh, he thought that normally he he did that. It is okay for him, but because of me, I'm a woman. I should. Uh, he told me that I should go and uh, take care of my beauty instead of staying working. And when he uh, when this happened, I um, I thought to give up. I just didn't. Uh, like i thought i believed him i don't know because he was a friend but then uh, because of that he's not a friend anymore but then later later i i i say um, i will try to find another source to learn scala and this is why i decided to go to conferences and when i went to the conference uh, at uh, 2017 Um, I also, I got uh, disappointed of myself that I thought that I know many things. I discovered that I really don't know. And also about my English, I wasn't able to talk to people. And then I thought, uh, this is not my place. I thought like, maybe he's right. Maybe, like I was thinking this way. But later uh, I decided, um, I decided to, uh, that I can improve my English and I can uh, understand the talks and I can learn i can do uh, uh, I can do it and when i um, I invested on myself uh on money and uh, and uh, time and everything to uh, to be able to arrive uh, to be able to get a job uh, in Europe and then continue and uh, I did all of this with the um, uh, thoughts that I am like anyone else. Even I know that the um, people, when they look at me, I know they see me, that I am different. They see me, like, uh, I got questions that, uh, why did you choose to be uh, a developer, for example? They they I got questions like I am... Uh, weird or something mm-hmm. and I I try to as a cop mechanism maybe I see myself as anyone I, this is what it should be like I see myself if I am for example let's say I am at a conference I am the only woman there and the guys are asking questions to the speakers for example I see I am there and I can also ask questions to the speaker. I can also talk to them because the other guys uh, are doing this. So um, I included myself without anyone who like I didn't wait for people to include me, because I felt like I put this out uh, to be able to to uh, um, to get. Uh, to uh, to make progress and to my focus is on learning more than uh um, making these limits that society created i focus it really to that i would like to um uh to achieve a good career and uh, to have uh, to learn and uh, because anyone uh, anyone can do this it's not about the gender or Nationality or anything, anyone can do this. It's not something hard. Um, like anyone who, want, who who is interested to learn something, they can do it. And uh, I try to focus mostly on uh, what I can do more than uh, what are the limits. Even I got many racist comments, especially in Paris, and um, but I try to. Uh, change my environment and to to put myself where i can grow instead of focusing on being down even i was down many times and uh yeah but i tried to just control where i focus on
1: that is i mean that's that's a great testimonial i think that's that that just made the whole episode. But <laughs> but what I heard you saying was, here here's a reason that I thought of quitting, and you know, and and I'm sure, especially in our field, many women have had this experience. It's like something. It's like, oh, here's another reason. Here's another reason that I that I could yeah. quit. Here's another reason. But every single time you just said, no, yeah. I'll just do something else. I'll I'll change something. I'll keep going, and that's. That's the interesting thing: is what allowed you to keep making that decision to go. Oh, yeah, this is a reason that I could see quitting over, but I'm not gonna. The I'm not gonna part is what I think it's is really interesting to me. Yeah, is because I know that a lot of people don't don't do that. Yeah. You know?
0: Well, and I think coming from our like position of privilege, mm-hmm. there's probably n- rarely times where we're confronted with a situation that would be like, I should probably just quit. Like That just doesn't mm-hmm. happen very often in no. the privileged position. Mm-hmm. So yeah, to be able to hear the story of, yeah, not everyone has that privilege. And how can we... So I guess maybe a question for you, William, is like, how can we help you or others with with um that like inspiration that you've found like is there anything we can do to to help help in that situation and help people that that are being faced with the constant barrage of reasons to not continue
2: I think uh like when uh, there are uh, uh events um and you know that, for example, a company that has um, uh, women working there, they inc- if they like if they got um, the chance to uh, also be there in uh, in different events, and uh, and uh, there are people like I I also respect there are people who aren't interested to. To join events, but they are interested to write uh, programs and everyday, uh, like uh, everyday, and um, but try to to open um, uh, to open this opportunity to everyone, and especially for them, and uh, um, also uh, treat them like uh, the same way as uh, like. Sometimes I I feel I can notice that someone is treating me differently because I'm a woman. For example, this is it didn't give me uh, I don't feel comfortable for this. Uh, I think that if um, uh, someone uh, like if uh, women are treated like anyone else, uh, uh, like like men in uh, the team, for example and um if they give up op- their opinions or they uh, share their ideas they uh they should get heard like others um yeah sometimes i got also some situations um that i shared my opinion and i i felt like it wasn't heard um and i need maybe to speak louder or uh I most of the time have the the scenario of wearing a bee <laughs> bird bird yeah to get uh, to <coughs> yeah to get hurt
0: so people would but, would listen yeah. yeah, yeah, I guess that's a place where we can use our privileges to notice when when women are being squashed in that way and try to amplify or or i don't know bring i go into
1: big reaction when I hear it it's like. I don't even want to work at a company where that happens. Yeah, I, I just like mm. uh, that would just be that would throw me off of whatever I was trying to do. Yeah, to to see so, that. Happen.
0: I think it's so rampant. Like, oh yeah, it is. It, we're we're gonna encounter it in our companies and social media at conferences, kind of you know, it's mm-hmm. everywhere. But part of it is opening our eyes to like see that it's happening so that we can be part of the solution <laughs> mm.
1: yeah well at least i feel like we do it at our conferences yeah i mean we're i don't we, think everybody's uh, treated differently
0: we have we have mm. a conference up here that bruce runs and we do this session that uh did bill invent it or i'm
1: pretty sure bill
0: came bill up with came the up idea with it? uh it's <laughs> it's an open spaces conference where we just have conversations but one of the sessions is where the uh the women can do whatever they are free. it's about
1: the, the
2: experience
1: of women in oh yeah that technology good. and the men are only allowed to ask questions they cannot make comments or anything other than ask questions
0: yeah so it's kind of fun because the men are well it works to a position really well of, of having to not have power and i think
1: you know without yeah it 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 limits you to saying to asking questions and it's it's a fascinating experiment that we've done at least a couple of two or three times no yeah. maybe more now yeah. and uh it always brings up a lot of very interesting issues because we don't get overridden by men's opinions yeah So that's a fun thing. Um, So I have a, since you are, um, you know, into functional programming, this is, I think, going to become a survey question whenever we encounter somebody who's into functional programming. Well, somebody who's
0: been teaching functional programming. Who's been, in particular, who's been teaching it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which is, how do you, like, to somebody who has no idea what what it is, how do you explain monads to people?
2: It's... A good question. <laughs> you don't know Monad? <laughs> yeah, I'm so ashamed. <laughs> yeah.
0: Can you believe it? He doesn't yeah, know Monads. Yeah, I know, and we've been, trying to, we've been trying to figure it
1: out for years, how to explain Monads to people. I still...
2: <laughs> yeah, I would say it is um, a data structure that allows you to combine um, like a data structure that has... Um, an operation which is a flat map, we say it flat map that uh, combines uh, or uh, um, combines uh, this uh, yeah to to combine these uh, two programs or two uh, data structures the same type and uh, make uh, um, some operations on that. Let's say when we have. Two lists, we can combine them. Sequence, sequence. We can, for example, compute, um, uh, or or maybe yeah, compute uh, the two lists together by just uh, do uh, uh, combine them using the operator flat map and access to the elements there and to uh, and build a new list uh in this uh uh in this uh sequence. I yeah. I don't think that it is it is a well structured answer, but it's Yeah, it's mm-hmm.
1: it's a hard I mean you know and and it's like I'm not expecting to get the perfect answer, but we're like for our book we're you know, this is one of the things we need to explain because it's essential. And we have an approach that I think is starting to bear fruit, but I'm also noticing that because I have that understanding, I can listen to what you're saying and, and fill in the gaps and go, yeah, I know what she's, I know what she's saying because I already have this core of understanding of the monad, but it does go back to, and this is kind of my, uh, I guess my second observation, which is, because I've been trying to figure out what, how do we present what the essence of functional programming is? And because there's all these different things, Mm -hmm. but um, I think, and I know you're a fan of the red book because you wrote, you know, you wrote something at least that Mm -hmm. was talking about that. And my, um, what kept coming up for me, especially in like the latter half of it, was the idea of um, I can't remember if they used if they if they said composition or composability, but you know one the idea of that is like that's the whole of what we're trying to do is we're trying to take pieces and put them together. Yep. So we're reusing code, which has been a holy grail for decades in the field. It's like, how do we reuse code rather than rewriting everything? And I think that's the essence. And mm-hmm. everything around it is just to support that idea, including Monads, is for composability. Yeah,
2: And why we need to compose is because we have immutable data and uh, in order to build new data, we need to build new data and using this composition uh, operators, um, we can build our program uh, with the function programming approach.
0: Yeah, Yeah, and one of the elements that keeps sticking out to me around this, which you mentioned, uh, is the idea that, that monads are only useful when you combine them together and want a new one. And one monad is or well, yeah, one monad is no monad. Like there there's no reason to ever have a single monad. It's only in as you are composing or you know, munging these things together that monads make any sense. And it was one of the challenges that we had when we were writing the book was I wanted to start with monads. Like I wanted to start with here's the right way to do to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. But what we as we were working through that Idea of trying to do that, we, I think, very quickly realized that we could show one monad, like we could show a zero, just a, you know, a zero value or a zero println or something like that. But it's useless to like in isolation. Like, yeah. And I just showing one monad, like starting with one monad just doesn't make any sense. And so then mm. it's like, okay, for this to make any sense, we have to have multiple monads but then that opens up this whole can of worms of okay then we have, have to like introduce the for comprehension but then we have to like unravel the for comprehension into flat map and map and it just is like okay this idea is not going to work starting from a monad because there's all this stuff that you have to like have foundational knowledge of so that you get to the place where you think about composing multiple monads together yeah.
1: well and it's also interesting because if you look at um functional programming and you can say oh yeah we could add monads or you could you could take Go's approach where they go okay by convention you return something that yeah it looks kind of like a monad it's a package of information and but then The programmer, every time they make a function call, they have to unpack that and do something, you know, so they have to have a whole bunch of code. And so until you add in uh, programming language support for that, it's kind of like, oh, I'm not really sure if this is worth it. You need that extra step of the for comprehension to unpack your monads for you. So now you have a reasonable syntax that you can look at and reason about. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Um. That wasn't a question. So. Yeah, that was not a question. So, all right. Yes. <laughs> we are looking to, yeah, re- I'm to trying say to... to say that makes sense, or no, that doesn't make any sense.
2: <laughs> yeah, I should have thought about it uh, be- before. Uh, like it is normally, it should be an expe- uh, expected question. <laughs> <laughs> so I really tried to think about it, and it's like maybe. I am trying to find a good sentence to explain a monad. <laughs> trying to simplify it, but let's try again if yeah, I can. Yeah, let's try. <laughs> it sure,
1: Give it a little shot.
2: Um, maybe it is um, a program that you need to. Uh, no, yeah, oh my god, I couldn't find it. It's, <laughs> it's the <laughs> curse
0: of the monad. The curse of the monad just hits you every it's time. It's like
2: you are, you are trying to you have okay as you mentioned we need like there is no no single monad we need to to have more than a monad to uh, uh, and build build a new uh, new monad based to the based to the computation of uh, or the content of the previous monad maybe this I don't know if yeah uh,
1: it's. I think it's kind of like. Well, if you're trying to explain object-oriented programming to somebody, you have to have this. Well, okay, we got a base class, we got derived classes, and then we have this dynamic binding thing that goes on. I mean, you have to have all that in place before you mm-hmm. can go. Oh, and then we get this polymorphic behavior, and that's what we're. Is that object-oriented programming? Yeah. I'm. I'm, I'm <laughs> questioning everything now, yeah. but I mean, you have to, and I think the same thing is true when explaining monads and functional programming is you have to have enough of that structure in place where you can say yeah. okay here's the problem we're trying to solve and it's got you know several components that we have to put together in order to solve it yeah. but i feel like i'm getting closer to yeah to to being
0: able to explain that let's go on to yes. effects mm. so yep. because you you did Scala before Cats, uh, or no, not Cats, uh, Scala Z effects before Zio. Um What was it about effects that you were drawn to? Uh,
2: the functional effects, right? Yeah, um, functional effects. They are made to, to turn the site's effects into functional, uh, to make them functional and uh, to make them uh, immutable and it's like frozen the um, uh, these side effects make them frozen and then you can later uh, combine them with different uh, other side effects and then later when you only when you decide you you have control over them, and you decide now. I can run it, or I can test it, uh, uh, and test it with different specific things. Uh, I mean, uh, maybe different environments, etc. This would lead to, uh, yeah, to mention uh, the uh, environment in uh, this um, a functional effect. But uh, yeah, the purpose of functional effect is to have control over your side effects and make them functional and how to make them functional. You need them to be immutable and to be able to compose them together and to build your program. Yeah.
1: So you're composing effects.
2: Yeah.
1: Ah, interesting.
0: Yeah. That's, I guess that's the, is one of the challenges that functional programming brings up. It's like, okay, uh, we want to do things in a composable way, mm-hmm. but as soon as there's a side effect, it won't compose anymore. And so now we need some way to isolate the effect from, from the non-effect and so that we can compose all and the, make non- it e- functional so that it, it can functional. be composed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah um it's it's a very different way of thinking than than job, my background in java and stuff before that cuz you know we just lump all that stuff together and typical oh we don't really think
1: about it yeah yeah we don't that's what we do it's
0: just you have what you want it to do
1: and then you have things that usually surface as bugs yeah. And bugs can never be completely eradicated just cuz <laughs> that's how bugs are. Yeah. And that was that's just fair. the world that we you yeah. know. Yeah, and and this idea that it would be possible to somehow mathematically eliminate bugs is just kind of Bonkers, bonkers, how would you possibly do that? Yeah, I mean, math can do some things, but right. how can it eliminate bugs? that's the computer science is a whole different thing. You can't eliminate <laughs> bugs from programs, yeah
2: we wouldn't uh, find tasks to do if there are no bugs
1: right we're gonna put <laughs> ourselves out of a job. Yeah. We better stop this right that's, now. that's,
0: right. <laughs> yeah, I guess like as you' have done more programming with Zia and functional effect stuff like. I don't, what's what's been side effects that you've experienced of that like like do you have as many bugs do you are you able to work faster like what's what's been your experience as you've been doing that
2: um it is simpler the code looks simpler and does uh, amazing things not just uh, like something simple just the code you can see it is few lines of code and then um Uh, Readability, this is like also for the team, they can read it and uh, understand it. Also, um, it is uh, in case if we, let's say there is a bug, it is the same. We can find where uh, from, for example, let's say there is an unexpected error that hasn't been handled and it is uh, an exception for example we we have an effect that our expectations is to to fail with communication error or like some uh, or domain error etc and then suddenly we find an exception so we can find which program uh, in which um uh, place of the code uh, this has been thrown and then we use a simple function in zio that uh, it is unrefined and, uh, for example, that handles any unexpected exceptions and you turn it into, for example, internal server error. This is like, I remember once we faced this um, as a bug and uh, um, it is, I think it it makes it, uh, you will uh, write better programs using this, um, uh, approach, especially about um, possibility to test your program and yeah. uh,
0: testability with with pure functions is much higher. <laughs> yeah,
2: uh, yeah, and um, uh, easily uh, implement concurrent uh, uh, programs, and you can have different fibers and uh, use uh, simple functions. And uh, yeah, and there are many, many features in Zio. There is also the, like in case if you have mutable, you need mutable uh, variables, you can uh, use uh, different, you, you either use ref or T ref, which is a uh, transactional reference, um, in case uh, you have operations uh, that uh, that will update and get, uh, and get uh, in separate f- um, fibers, you get uh, the value of this reference and uh, the other f- uh, thread or the other fiber will um, um, update it. Uh, this you would need it's, a transactional reference. for I example. don't know how
0: much Java you did, but we what I've done in the past and seen in a lot of code bases is the the way that it usually goes is you write some code. And then at some point you realize there's a concurrency bug with your code. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it ends up, you didn't think about how you were, you know, writing to a shared resource and multiple threads were doing that. And so, oh, you get a bug and, you know, weird behavior and whatever. So then you just slap a synchronized like (laughs) (laughs) keyword on the whole thing. You You know, just start chasing the bug. Yeah. And, and you just like take this, like, huge hammer and whack it with synchronized and killing your your all of your performance Uh with one big hammer stroke right and whereas whereas with with zeo you really have to think about okay this thing is a shared reference and is mutable uh needs to be mutable and then Zio takes care of making sure that fibers are not going to stomp on each other, and so you yeah. don't have to have this huge hammer for, for whacking the whole like program with a synchronized, sing, you know, basically just taking it all to a single thread. Yeah, there is yeah. a
2: small hammer.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for
2: sure in Zio to prevent this.
1: Right. Well, and you don't have to debug it from first principles, which you do yeah. with threads and locks. So you started with Scala Z and then moved to ZIO. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, because I, when Scala Z was first coming out, I remember like watching videos and people were explaining things, and I mean, I vaguely remember somebody going heavily into math <laughs> and not I, I took nothing away from those. I, I had zero understanding. And, um, so, but obviously you understood something enough about Scala Z to, I don't know, contribute to the project, but I mean, what, how would you, it seems like there's an evolution. My impression Mm -hmm. is that there was initially Scala Z was, was kind of the uh, initial experiments and then cats and then, um, Zio. Is that, is that a reasonable assumption you think
2: um i actually i uh, before I did not i didn't i didn't uh i sadly didn't try uh, cats i don't know how like the uh, right. how the it was hmm. but in the very beginning scala said it was i o of a and then i o e a and then uh, i o r e a um Three type parameters, and I I am grateful and happy that um, I was there when it was IOEA and REA, so I can have the understanding uh, for um, why they are uh, that way and uh, how to build them, etc.
0: Yeah, it one gives other, you the perspective. One other piece of history on Scala Z is I believe it's very, it comes very much out of the Haskell world, like trying right. to create oh, Haskell yes. yeah. Scala. Oh, That's right. And and I never have done Haskell. So I don't like that world was always, the Scala Z world was always so foreign to mm-hmm. me as a Scala developer because I hadn't done Haskell. Mm-hmm. So for me, like Zio was the first time where all of these ideas were approachable from my side of understanding not from the haskell side of it.
1: Right, you didn't have to have the haskell background in another yeah. in, in order to say, "Oh yeah, that's like haskell." Yeah. Which you which would be very helpful, I imagine, but so do you like I'm guessing going from Scala Z to ZIO you're seeing all the um ways that ZIO is trying to make things easier to understand.
2: Um uh, I think that it was uh okay when uh, it was in may 2018 when um uh, Scala Zed, uh moved to zio and um and uh, okay there there are some uh, uh functions that are uh quite uh, like Haskell. and later i think many many of them were because of me uh i uh, like um Sometimes I suggest to John to, to make it friendlier and, uh, and, for example, Pure became Succeed, um, like many, many renaming things. And it, is, it continued to be like that, uh, simpler and uh, more friendly for all people also, like uh, people who didn't know Haskell before, they can understand that
0: yeah i guess there was initially quite a bit of kind of legacy brought over from Mm scholars ed and from haskell into Zio. and so yeah naming is a good example where things were just named in that way because they because Because they were always named in that and what
1: does pure mean to me i i don't know whereas succeed I, i can sort of guess what the meaning might be yeah or at least start to yeah um yeah that's i think super important when it comes to uh things like that so are you using scala 3
2: uh not yet
0: oh ah, okay so yeah one of the one of the things that i don't know if it, i don't remember who in the ZIO world said it but it probably ultimately came from you and your your work to make the apis easier but they're in scala 2 they renamed Printlin uh was it no print? What, what was it in NZ01? Uh, was it even Printland? I don't know. Uh, anyways, they, they created naming consistency for Printland and Readland. So now it's like Printline, Readline or something. Mm-hmm. And, I'm like, now when I see it in other languages, I'm like, why in the world is it printlin with a lowercase L and readline with an uppercase L? It's like, come on, let's have some like API consistency here. Kotlin actually does this where Kotlin has a printlin and a readline. And I'm like, you all could have like created API consistency here.
1: But it's still, I mean, but but I'm glad somebody else is on board with me with this because you know, when I would complain about you know, Java's system dot print You know, like, oh, it's just ah, oh, the you know, the IDE will type that stuff for you, and it's like, yes, but you have to read it. It's just super annoying, and it's like, and and of course, I go back to the simplicity of Python, where they just go print. You don't have to say line. Right. You know, we'll we 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 can put the f- new line deal in. with that. Just say print.
0: Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Well, we certainly appreciate your uh, oh, yeah. your perspective and shaping of creating more consistent APIs. And going
1: in, I mean, that's probably a huge benefit to the project. If you're going in with beginner's mind, and you're looking at it from, oh, how is this gonna, you know, how's this gonna land with somebody who's never seen it before? Can we make it simpler? Because mm. uh, a lot of times that perspective isn't right. part of projects. And so they think, ah, it's complicated, we don't care. It's not complicated to us.
0: Well, in another philosophy that I've seen expressed around ZO2, which I'm sure, again, comes back to Wim and uh, your work, but was that in, in ZO2 they're, they're trying to name things such that you get them in the autocomplete menu <laughs> In the That's IDE. Huge. And it's like, okay, most developers these days are using IDEs and using autocomplete. And we have this wonderful thing where we can do dot and get the list of available options. Guessability. Guessability, right. And so let's name things with good guessability in mind. Whereas if you roll back the 10 years, a lot of developers were not using real IDEs. Dot com- you know, dot completion was not so much of a thing. And so you, if your developers are always going to look at an API doc anyways, then guessability doesn't matter as much. But now that mm-hmm. we're pretty much all using IDEs that can that can give us a list of possible options, guessability is really important. Oh, yeah. And so let's design our APIs around that. And I yes. really appreciate that perspective. Oh, that's huge. I mean that to me as a massive reason
1: to use one thing over another. If I can kind of get hinted through how to do something rather than, well, what do I do now? I don't know. Go study the docs for a couple hours and maybe you'll figure out what to try. Yeah.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've definitely been in the world where I open up the reference doc for some API and I, I start, it, this is if dot completion is, you know, for some reason, not been an option or not worked in terms of finding what I need to find. And then I'll search through the whole reference doc for keywords that I think may be may get me to the right place. Uh, and usually. It, usually what happens is you know i i couldn't find it based on the method name uh and so then i find it in a description of a method where the description of the method is where i match the keyword that i'm looking for and then that leads me to the method name but it'd be so much nicer if the method name was named in such a way that i could you know find it through dot completion instead of having to go to the docs to search for keywords yeah so
1: Yeah. Yeah. So very helpful, very beneficial.
0: Uh, So we're, we're writing this book about effects and, and Zio and Scala three. And um, I want to hear what your perspective is on like, like, where's this going in terms of effects and, uh, and Zio, like, is this going to be something that really could be mainstream? There's a huge uphill education (laughs) challenge to this but but i don't know is that is that where we're going is that where we would want to be
2: Uh i think the now when you see the zio organization there are many different projects and like at one point in time you can um i think in the future you will be able to use 100 percent zio in your project and this is like i think uh It is something, uh, it's like a new language or (laughs) um, once you understand Zio and uh, then you will be able to use the whole um, different libraries. This is maybe, I think, uh, if I would guess what would happen in the future. Yeah, I sadly didn't uh, contribute on the new features and the new libraries. Just. like in the beginning, I um, I got the chance to do this. Um, but this is um, mainly if someone uh, learn about Zio, just Zio without uh, the other different libraries, they will be able to, uh, they will be flexible with um, the different libraries that... Uh, comes from Zio, It will be automatically because it is consistent. I think I like it the way as you mentioned. It they are trying to make things consistent and uh, um, once you just you need to learn about Zio so you can uh, understand the other uh, libraries.
0: Yeah, yeah. The library ecosystem is, I think, a huge part. And I think that to me, it's a testament to getting the right. Foundation in place the the library ecosystem that has so quickly mm-hmm. been created around Zio to me speaks to That we got the the right base types and base things there mm-hmm. um, there I've heard people say something along the lines of like if we just get the like foundational constructs, right? Like that's that's the the most important thing and I maybe don't I'm not sure if I disagree with that or agree with that but To me the indicator if you've got the right foundational things in place is is there a ecosystem that has sprouted quickly and growing and vibrant around those those uh kind of core principles and core types um and in the case of zeo absolutely like like the the ecosystem has grown so fast and is flourishing and to me that says that, that's that the most important
1: the... indicator i think i mean if you look at the python community and how many you know it's like how how often can you say i need to solve a problem oh here's i wonder if this component and this component will so oh look at that i'm done solving my problem yeah and it's like so there's tons of that stuff and so when you see that happen then it's certainly a strong indicator that oh you've gotten foundational stuff right i mean right you can never get everything right but maybe enough of it of the basis right that that can happen so yeah yeah, it's it's very interesting to watch
0: yeah as an example Mm -hmm. of this and maybe this is where it comes back to composability Mm -hmm. is that Zio, the part of what I've used in Zio is like Zio Kafka. And it is so nice that Zio Kafka uses Zio streams. And all I have to do to like do stream oriented stuff is like pull in Zio Kafka, pull in some stream processing thing. And because it's the right foundation of Zio streams, these things just work together as yeah. they should. So like composability just happens Easily and well because of these foundational pieces that, and that's where I think the development speed happens,
1: because if you can take these pieces and put them together, and you don't get the combination of the errors, undealt with errors from this component and this component, you and you can just stick them together and have them work. Then now you can develop quickly. But to do that, you have to start at the, you know, foundational level. And I think that's where people start going, oh my gosh, it takes this long to understand, you know, how fold or or something works. And you got a whole bunch of these things. And it seems like it's going to take me forever before I'm productive. And if this level of complexity is at every level, I'm not going to be productive at all. And so yeah. to understand, whereas with high productivity well quote unquote high productivity languages you can immediately start throwing things together along with their bugs and so you feel productive yeah but now you've got systems that are full of bugs
0: yeah that's right yeah yeah and yeah i think that comes back to your question about functional programming where functional programming really shines for me in some ways is as soon as i learned fold on monads I can now apply that that what I learned let's say that I first learned it on option I can now apply that same concept of fold to any monadic structure and I understand it like immediately I Mm didn't there's not this huge learning curve that I have to go retackle and so I guess that's part of the really interesting thing with functional programming is like once you learn one of these concepts it it should apply universally because we're yeah. just talking about like function pure functions and immutable and it doesn't differ whereas i've seen other languages and OO paradigms where everyone kind of does fold or something like fold differently and so anytime i encounter it in an api i have to kind of relearn how this accumulation concept is is handled in this particular context <laughs>
2: Yeah. Especially if they change the name fold, usually we need to, to find yeah. out which one.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you have to mentally map it yourself. Um maybe to close out, uh what are you doing with are you, with Zio today? Are you still contributing? Are you involved in the community? Um when we someday have conferences again where you speak at conferences. I think you had a fairly recent blog post about Zio. Yeah, so what's what are you doing with Zio today?
2: uh i'm actually uh, taking a break of uh like in um, contributing and giving talks but uh whenever i will get a chance i will post uh, videos tutorials um if i like uh, the latest ones were quite funny how to pray uh, to prepare pizza using zio and oh, that's right. yeah <laughs> and how to open the fridge using Zio. <laughs> so maybe if I would um, find a uh, uh, time, I uh, I would uh, share some content in my YouTube channel. And also, uh, uh, I don't know if uh, I will uh, go back um, for contributions, but uh, in my daily job, I use Zio and... Uh, um yeah uh
0: so. well we certainly appreciate all of the content you've created i've learned a lot from it about ZIO and functional programming and effects and all that so thank you for helping me learn thank you and yeah we really appreciate your time and and um yeah, yeah good to, good to see you hopefully i'll see you in person sometime soon
1: yeah thanks for telling us your story yeah,
2: thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me.